Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Bethany Gilbert and I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune of Coromdeo Church and Pastor Chris Hemmelman of First City Church. On Wednesdays, we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. Today, we're talking about the three worlds of evangelicalism. The title is taken from an article in the February 2022 issue of First Things. And so the article is by Aaron Wren. That is the title. Our podcast title is also the article title. So uh, you can go search for that title and you'll find the article or Bethany will link to it in the show notes. We're going to basically interact with the case this author is making. Before we do that, little shout out to Barb, who grabbed me at church on Sunday in reference to a few weeks ago on the podcast when I said, is it 2022 or 2022? Yeah. And she said, hey, what year were you born? And I was like, 1974. She was like, yeah, you don't say 1,974. So the same thing should apply. It doesn't. You, that doesn't change just because we're in a new millennium. It's still, you say it like two numbers, 19 and 74, 20 and 22. And as I sat there and looked at her, I was like, yeah, you're, you're pretty much exactly right. Yep. So now I have to start saying 2022, not 2022. So I repent of any time I have said 2021 or 2017. It's 2022, people. What yeah. if you say 1974? Well, that's like a, that's like what my grandpa would have said. You know, it's like it's like an old school way of saying it. 1974. That's a yeah. That's the more formal way of saying it. Um, okay, so the February 2022 issue of First Things, uh, the three worlds of evangelicalism. This is sort of a what Aaron Wren seems to be doing here is both some commentary, but also some analysis. So I'm most fascinated by his analysis, by what he gives us. I, I don't agree with every aspect of his commentary on it, but I think it, it f- provides good fodder for a podcast. If you listened a month ago, we did a podcast on Carl Truman's article about evangelical elites. This article kind of falls in the same vein. It's basically teasing out what is going on in the culture and sort of evangelical Christianity's engagement with the culture. A lot of people are sort of tapping around the edges of some changes that are afoot. And some I think people can feel like, yeah, the post-Trump world in evangelical Christianity feels a little different than it did 20 or 30 years ago. Why is that? And lots of people are just trying to sort of answer that kind of question. This is another essay that seeks to answer that question. Let me give you what I think is the most interesting aspect of this article. Um, Aaron Wren writes, Within the story of American secularization, there have been three distinct stages. Number one, positive world, pre-1994. Society at large retains a mostly positive view of Christianity. To be known as a good church-going person remains part of being an upstanding citizen. Publicly being a Christian is a status enhancer. Christian moral norms are the basic moral norms of society. Second, neutral world, 1994 through 2014. Society takes a neutral stance toward Christianity. Christianity no longer has privileged status, but is not disfavored. Christianity is a valid option within a pluralistic public square. Christian moral norms retain some residual effect. Number three, negative world, 2014 to present. Society has come to have a negative view of Christianity. 
being known as a Christian is a social negative, particularly in the elite domains of society. Christian morality is expressly repudiated and seen as a threat to the public good. Subscribing to Christian moral views brings negative consequences. Interestingly, he's teasing out the same thing there that Carl Truman was teasing out in the article we read last month, which is that it's about our understanding of morality that creates the flashpoint for the culture, that really what people take issue with is the Christian moral norms or moral view of the world. And so he seems to be tapping there at the same thing Truman was. I think it's interesting. I've had a number of people asking about this article. Just like, hey, what do you think? Is it, is it? Do you think that's fair to say there was a positive world pre-1994, there was a neutral world 1994 to 2014, and now we're in this negative world? I don't know, but it's an interesting taxonomy. Yeah. It, if you kind of just go by feel, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, if you can, it's just the world feels more negative. And you can, when we're in high school and college, it just felt like the more I'm okay, you're okay. And earlier than that. So I, my, yeah. my lifetime has straddled these three worlds. I don't entirely, in a minute, I'm going to argue with Aaron Wren and be like, this is a bunch of crud. But for <laughs> now, there's part of me that wants to agree with him. And here's, yeah. here's from my experience how I would agree with this. When I graduated from Millard North High School in 1992, my dad spoke at our baccalaureate for the high school. Now, baccalaureate was optional because baccalaureate was a religious service. And of course, you couldn't compel people to go to a religious service. But of my graduating class of 520 people, about 400 of them came to baccalaureate. My dad preached the gospel in the gymnasium of my public high school. And they welcomed him to do it because I was a student and they knew my dad was a pastor. And they're like, hey, let's get somebody we know to come and do this. I cannot ever imagine anything like that happening right now. I don't imagine that most public high schools are having any kind of a religious ceremony where they're inviting a pastor to come and in the school building talk about God or Jesus. Um, so it is interesting that if I think about 1992, kind of a positive world. You know, you still, there was, not everybody agreed with your point of view, but you were still respected if you were a Christian. Now I understand, eh, what's more of a negative world. So th there is something about this that rings true to, I think, how we experience the world. Um, I, again, here's what Doug, Doug Wilson wrote a little piece in response to this article. And he was like, Hey, I've been around during this whole time. And guess what? Back in the eighties, they still hated the fact that we were pro-life. Like it, n no one's ever been like, Oh, Christians are against abortion. That's such a wonderful thing. So his point is like, I, you can only call it a positive world in certain senses. There's always been a case where being a Christian has been countercultural and frowned upon by the sort of cultural establishment. And so I, I just think this might be a, a simplistic way of rendering it, but it does get at something I think we feel. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think where when he digs into maybe some of the um, missional strategies, for lack of a better term, um, and the ways that Christians have engaged the culture, they're... I, th I think you in some ways start to see these these three categories maybe have a little bit, may maybe this is where you disagree more, where they, they seem to resonate a little bit more. Because even if Doug Wilson's right about, hey, it's always kind of been negative, but how we engage the culture in the 80s versus how we engage the culture now, can we say those things? Can we? I mean, how, in what ways are those two things different? They're not different at all. That's going to be my argument. Okay, so no, that's. I mean, that's that's where. But I we're going there. If if the, um, again, where it can feel, 
I, I, I'm, I'm using the word feel not in like emotional feel, but just the the sort of sensibility. Sensibility, yeah, yeah. That that it. I don't know. I, I am curious to hear some of your pushback first on this because first, Bethany, what do you think about this positive world, neutral world, negative world? Does it ring true to you or not exactly? Mm, I don't know. I think for as long as I've been around, which isn't terribly long but <laughs> pretty we're still pretty in here out of your 19 teens years yeah. yeah no i'm kidding um no i i guess i've just never really felt like there has been a super positive um feeling towards christianity yeah. but there also hasn't really been like i don't know i would say that i've never experienced really really harsh like persecution right for being a christian i've experienced some of the social you know maybe consequences that they would say are negative from being a Christian, but yeah, I don't know. Okay, so let me map one other thing on top of this. So the first thing about this article is positive world, neutral world, negative world, those three worlds. That's why the article is called the three worlds of evangelicalism. Now, what Ren also wants to say is there were three different strategies for engaging the culture in those three worlds. Back in the positive world, the culture strategy was culture war, religious right, um, moral majority, Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, it was sort of, and, and what he wants to argue is those were movements from the periphery. Those people were never accepted in mainstream American society. They weren't on late night TV shows. They weren't on NPR. They weren't, you know, you didn't read them in the New York Times. They were very much like the, the cultural elites would have considered them to be backwoods, backwater kind of people. But that that's why the culture war strategy worked because it was a strategy from outsiders saying, yeah, we don't, we don't need to be liked by you. We want to fight for a different vision of what America should be. During the neutral world, Aaron Wren wants to argue that was the, the, the strategy in evangelicalism was either seeker sensitivity, so Bill Hybels, Rick Warren, you know, seeker church, and cultural engagement. And so there he would put Tim Keller, um, you know, people like that who, who would sort of like in a winsome way try to make a case for Christianity in the public square and try to find common ground with secular people in various ways. Um, he would also put Hillsong in that category, Christianity Today, Veritas Forum, Andy Crouch, people like that. And then he says, where we're at now, negative world, the real problem in evangelicalism is nobody has a strategy for how to engage culture in the negative world. And the closest thing we have is Rod Dreher's Benedict option, but Rod Dreher's an Eastern Orthodox guy. So he's like, so evangelicals haven't really embraced his idea, but he's the only one who's put forth a strategy to say, here's how we should engage a negative world. And so kind of what Ren is doing in this article is saying, until evangelicals figure out a cultural engagement strategy for life in a negative world, we're going to be fragmented. That's what sort of at the root of some of the fragmentation, because what he's what Aaron Wren wants to argue is some of the some of the Trumpy people are just old culture war people who you know that's why they're most of them are boomers is like they lived through the eighties and through the nineties and now they they are just sort of like applying that strategy in a negative world, and then the cultural engagers are sort of losing some of their cachet. He points to the fact that uh, Tim Keller got disinvited from Princeton Seminary in two thousand seventeen because of his view on uh, gender. And, and that that, you know, that's an example of like even somebody like Tim Keller, who's a winsome, irenic, intellectual kind of person, can't really keep his credibility in a negative world. There's just, you know, he's, he's on the wrong side of history, as, as people would say. Um, this is where 
I'm not sure I agree. <laughs> I'm not sure I agree with Aaron Wren that these strategies. So the way he writes the article is, these were the three worlds. Here's the three strategies evangelicals had for engaging these worlds. I don't buy that at all. I don't think that's how it works. I don't buy that, oh, you know, this was a positive world strategy. This was a neutral world strategy. This was a negative world strategy. I think the weakness of the entire article is that it assumes that we take our missionary strategies or develop them in response to the culture. And I just don't think that's what Tim Keller was doing. I don't think that's what Jerry Falwell was doing. I don't think anybody was going, here's where the culture is, and so here's the strategy we're going to adopt. I think these are different visions of how should the church be in the world. And sure, has the culture shifted a little bit? Yeah. But I'm not convinced that um, we need a new engagement strategy for a negative world. Uh, maybe so. I don't know. Yeah, you- this... I hear what you're saying. Um, so take this as processing with you on this because I, I read a version of this article before before this version came out where he, he actually takes the task, guys like Ben Sass and, and others, because he's essentially saying guys are playing by the neutral world rules and neutral world strategy in a negative world. And so Ren very much wants to argue that the way that we engage, wherever that place, however we understood cultural engagement, whatever the motivation behind it, whether it was a response to culture or just came from somewhere else, that those old strategies don't work anymore. Yes, I think that's why he's naive. And so, but mm. it's fascinating to me because I, th- I think maybe that's where I'm, I am a little bit more compelled and not necessarily agree, but I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm listening, Aaron, tell me more. Yeah. Um, He's not going to tell you more. He's just going to say someone should figure out a negative yeah, world strategy. Yeah, because because here's I mean to to your to your point or the where you think that it's not a response to necessarily the culture, which I th- I think there's definitely truth to that. But isn't there also a, a dynamic of this where how the culture is responding responding to Christianity or the points where it's it's sort of attacking. So you think of um, Keller's book, The Reason for God. Like, would that book be as successful today as it was 15 years ago? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know. It's, in, it's still in print. It's still in print. It wasn't written. Yeah. It wasn't written today. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, I don't know. Okay, let me, know. Let, me read, let me read you where I disagree, where I want to take issue with Aaron Wren, where I think he's... he's pulling in through the back door his own definitions of things. Okay. Okay. When he talks about the cultural engagement strategy, he says the cultural engagers are the most at risk from the transition to the negative world. Although the shift from positive to neutral world represented a downward shift in Christianity's standing within society, the cultural engagement strategy enjoyed higher status than did the culture war strategy. Unlike Pat Robertson or Jerry Falwell, Tim Keller is highly respected by secular society. He has written for publications like The New Yorker and The Atlantic. He's received friendly interviews and profiles from journalists such as Nicholas Kristof at The New York Times. Cultural engagement leaders have been treated by elite secular society in a way the culture warriors never were. They have a cultural status to lose, which the lower status culture war Christians of the positive world never had to begin with. This is where I don't quite get what his definition is of cultural status and what his definition is of 
elite secular society. Because I wrote down underneath this, Pat Robertson ran for president. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. James Dobson told millions of people how to vote. And Moral Majority at its height had 4 million members and 2 million donors and arguably got Ronald Reagan elected twice. So yeah. I'm not clear how, they, how those culture war guys didn't have significant social status yeah, and power. How he even, he even points out that prior, like Jimmy Carter was a Democrat and prior to Carter, evangelicals were split in the vote and then after the major, moral majority, right. now it's predominantly Republican. So, so I don't know yeah. how you can say Tim Keller is highly respected by secular society, but those old culture war guys didn't yeah. have the same cultural credibility. Well, they got a president elected and literally ran the 80s in America. So yeah. call it what <laughs> no, you want. They might not have had, got profiled in the New York Times, but I, I just... This yeah. is where I think writers like Wren are buying into some vision of like, if, if, if any secular people like you, you must be some kind of a sellout. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I think what Tim Keller does well is he's a winsome person yeah. and his strategy, he is not like Jerry Falwell trying to take America back for Jesus. He is a little bit more of a two kingdoms kind of guy where his, his, his vision is more for the church flourishing than for winning the culture. Um, or his vision of winning the culture is just different. You know, it's not politically driven. But I just don't buy that that's a neutral world strategy versus a positive world strategy. I think what it what it reveals is two different understandings of how do Christians engage the world in general, not just culture. So here's my critique to restate it. I think this article assumes that we take our strategies based on the culture, that we're developing strategies in response to the culture. I think actually the way I understand missiology to work is that the church and culture are always in dialogue with each other. So there's a sense in which the church is always going to be responding to the culture around it. However, I don't think it's as simplistic as, oh, if it's a positive world, do this. If it's a neutral world, do this. If it's a negative world, do this. I actually think what's happening is um, Tim Keller's strategy for how to engage the world was different than Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson's strategy for how to engage the world. And it wasn't because one was a positive world and one was a neutral world. It was the same world. It's two different visions of Christian influence. One vision assumes that the job of Christians is to change society um, in every respect broadly. That's kind of what drove the moral majority vision. Um, that became very politicized because that's the lever you pull in America to change society. And I think there was good and bad to that. I think Keller's vision and people like Andy Crouch's vision is much more of a, let's just be the church and we live in the world. So we have to figure out how to live in the world. But the goal is not to win over the society to our way of thinking. The goal is to meaningfully live as Christians within the world. You don't think Keller has a vision for like cultural transformation? No, I absolutely, he absolutely yeah. does. It's part of Redeemer's mission statement. But what's different about it is if you think about how he engages, he is not trying to say, here's who we should elect for the mayor of New York. Yeah, here's yeah, who yeah, we yeah. should put on the city council. Here's the stand. He's just saying, here's what the gospel is. Yeah. And you know what? I want... I, I think there's places where we have common ground with non-Christians and places where we don't. And so let me talk to you about what Jesus has to say to the world and, you know, how he speaks to your deepest longings and whatever. So I just, I think it's interesting because Aaron Wren probably wants a little more aggressive strategy. And I think a lot of people, I read another article by um, Jonathan Lehman and his opening line was basically like, no matter who you are, Christians can feel like something 
feels a little tenuous in our relationship with the world in a new way. And I think that's what we're all feeling and what Ren is saying is like, mm-hmm. yeah, it just feels different living where we do right now. Um, but I just don't think, I don't like the, because that is true, therefore we need a new strategy. I just think like maybe, mm-hmm. maybe actually we just need to ask which of those strategies was the more, more Christ-like one. Is it a, let's fight for cultural change using the levers of power, or is it a, let's just try to be faithful Christians. And whether that means people love us or we get persecuted, well, both of those things have been true in history. So we're probably, <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe we're in the era of Constantine or maybe we're in the era of Nero. And so maybe here, here is the, the wrestle or the angst as, as you're talking and framing it the way you are, which is helpful. Um, so we think of, okay, Keller is super influential in how we think about cultural engagement. And it's, people see it as a positive that, hey, he writes for the New York Times. He's interviewed by XYZ. And so there's this, I don't know, either assumption or there's a explicit attempt to, hey, let's in some ways model Keller's engagement because it seems that opens doors for the kind of cultural engagement and perhaps even influence and effect that we want to see. So whether, whether Keller is doing this purposefully or just it's the effect of his the way God has given him a platform and, and used his ministry, Keller represents kind of a model of engagement. Would you say that? Sure. Yeah. So with that engagement, it would seem that evangelicals that, that agree with that and want to follow that model have certain assumptions about one, like to your point, this is how the church should be, but also effectiveness. Like that there is this sense of, hey, we see the way that Keller has done this. We've seen it in other ways that there, there seems to be a way God blesses this. There's an effectiveness. There's a winsomeness that we want to follow. And, and so that, that is happening. And I think what Aaron Wren in some ways is trying to push against is, hey, you're, he, he, I think he's wrapping somewhat a, a strategy with assumption of outcome too, because what happens if the way Keller, you know, so Keller has been, you know, has this platform or Christians have a influence or whatever you want to say, what happens if that changes? What if the outcome changes? Does the strategy need to change? I think that's what, what Aaron Wren is trying to argue for is he's saying that in which, some which, ways, which how is that not just pragmatism? And I think that's, that's ultimately what my point is, is I think as, as you've been talking, I think what, what's becoming more clear is, is that, and if you read some of, I've read some of Aaron Wren's other essays, you're spot on is he is pushing for a kind of pragmatism. Yeah, he's just doing it. This is the whole debate in the Catholic world between So Rabbi Mari and David Fred. It's just like yeah. it's the same. It's the same argument. And and what ends up get what what ends up getting thrown at is like, hey, Christian cultural, you know, Keller esque culture. Look look what's happening. Your attempt to transform the culture and it's going further and further down. You failed. Basically, it's like Aaron Rand, Just be honest and say, Keller, you failed. Like, I almost feel like that's what he wants to say. David French, you're a failure. So what's your point? So my point, I'm just, I'm processing out loud. I don't know if there's a point more so than to say um, that underneath his argument, if it is merely pragmatism, then is that what is that's what is that what is driving Christians is successful um, well, here's transformation or or is it like what you're saying? Kind of going back to what you're saying, either a vision for how the church is to be in the world, regardless of how the world is. So let me say something provocative. I like Tim Keller and I like Doug Wilson. I actually think both of those people are doing very interesting things. They're very different from each other. 
Yes. And the communities they're building are actually very different from each other. And I kind of think like, and we kind of need both because they're, they're both different. I mean, it's the same thing you had in the Reformation where you had the Anabaptists and you had the magisterial reformers and they were very different in how they understood engaging culture, but we need both. So I feel like Aaron Wren is trying to say, we have to pick a strategy. Evangelicals need to pick a strategy. I'm like, you know what? I'm glad we have multiple strategies. I like, I really respect Keller. And I think Doug Wilson is more of a Benedict option kind of strategy of like, here's how we're going to do things. We're going to double down on, you know, sort of old school Christian values and the kinds of families and local church that we want to, that we believe we want to build. And we're just going to do that in Moscow, Idaho. And if you want to join us, move to Moscow, Idaho. We're not doing it in Miami and we're not doing it in Seattle and we're not doing it in LA. We do it here. And there are interesting things about both of those. But is there space for that, that argument though? Like on a pragmatic level of go, Hey, Wilson's more successful than Keller or Keller. I mean, it's, is there a place for Christians to have that? Like, I actually want to assess those two. And I say, I think this is actually a better option. No, I don't, I don't, I don't know Aaron Wren personally, but I just don't trust a pundit to make that. <laughs> sure. I'm, think, ju- I'm just talking more in general. Like, I, I think that decision will be made over centuries or at least decades, not over a decade. You know, so when he's measuring from 1994 to now and sure. saying, hey, you know, the world's changed this much, I'm just like, you know what? Maybe. But I, I don't think you can say this strategy is used up because in 2014, <laughs> uh, the world changed. I'm like, well, that's only been eight years ago. So let's maybe go a little slower. So we, when we talked about Carl Truman's article last month, there seems to be somewhat of a similar kind of argument that he was making in the sense of, hey, you particular types of cultural transformation, faithful presence, neutral world strategy that he's identifying, Truman's basically like, you guys failed. Right. So there, there is, but do you see Truman saying, like making the same argument I, here or is it different? Yes. In many ways, it's the same argument. And what I want to argue is I think these people are all seeing something real. I don't think anyone's naming it correctly yet, but it's clear to me that we're all sensing like something has changed and and maybe something needs to change in how we think about the world we live in. But what is that? And I think it's interesting because I, I, I guess I want to argue, I don't think Aaron Wren has got it. I think yep. he's, I think he's tapping at something and saying, do you guys feel this? And I'm saying, yep, I feel it. I think we all feel it. Um, I don't, I don't buy that the strategy is we need a negative world strategy now for cultural engagement. I just think that prescription is the wrong prescription. But the analysis is interesting to me. And I think what what I want to argue, I read this from Jonathan Lehman, and th- I think this is the thing where I was like, yep, that's, that's what's at the root of all of this. Let me find it real quick. Jonathan Lehman says this, uh, there's a growing rejection of the DNA of liberalism. All people argue that the nation should govern itself, or sorry, he's saying all these people who are making these arguments, people like uh, Carl Truman, Aaron Wren, and others on the Catholic side even, these people argue that the nation should govern itself according to a thicker version of the good and right. And they all repudiate liberalism's longstanding attempt to build a nation on a thin version of justice. I think that's what, what we're all seeing is we operated for a long time on the assumption that we all could just get along, right? That there was this sort of thin version of like, hey, you know what? You do what works for you. You do what works for you. And there's sort of like this general pluralism that 
Christians could operate in and our non-Christian friends could operate in, and it all worked. What's become exposed with the end of the Cold War, with uh, Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump, with Obergefell, with you know all even all the stuff about race and gender identity, what's I think become exposed is that vision of like, hey, can't we all just sort of fight for the minimum possible rights that we need to live in the world doesn't work because the thing we actually disagree about is what's the right way to live, right? Is it right, is it right to defend a woman's right to abortion or is it right to defend the life of an unborn child? Is it right to defend your right to define your own gender identity or is it right to defend the identity and gender that you have at birth? Those are two different visions of what's true and right and good. And we can't just pretend like, well, you have yours and I have mine, because actually what we're fighting for is what's the vision of society that we want to put forward. And that's where actually the culture war guys, I think, understood that. I don't like the strategy they did, but I think they understood, like, you can't have two different moral visions of the world. This one's going to be win sustainable. Yeah. And one's going to lose. Yeah. And, and so, though, I think, I think that's what some of these people like Ren and Truman are pushing for is to say, let's be more vocal about the fact that we have a positive vision of good for the world and we're not just trying to get along with everybody. That's why I think they're frustrated is because they sort of feel like David French, Tim Keller, people like that are still trying to work in a world where don't we all just agree that like freedom is good and, you know, uh, community is good and cities are good and, you know, can we all just get along? So in that sense, is his argument correct? Is is he is he onto something to That's, where maybe Keller and French are off? No, in some I, way. Or? I don't. I don't want to say those guys are off necessarily. I okay. want to say I think that what everybody's feeling is that it's basically Patrick Deneen's book, The End of Liberalism. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, just yeah. The, the idea that like yeah, this liberal consensus that that worked in America for a couple hundred years is kind of fraying at the edges, and I think we have to ask the question: Yeah, what do we do with that? So, if so, hypothetically, like the. The position that Keller had, the respect Keller had, let's say that is removed from Christians, uh, isn't an indictment on Keller's strategy for how the church should be in the world. It's just the world is different. It's just in a different place. Yeah, and I think Christians should still be like that. Like, I hope I want to still be able to have winsome conversations with mm -hmm. people who disagree with me in a way that treats them as human beings, which I think is one thing that people like Keller do really well. I Do I think that's going to change the city? I don't think so. But I think that's how Jesus wants us to be, right? Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Uh, answer with gentleness, right? If someone's, don't, don't return evil for evil, but return good for evil. I just think there's a, there's a way of engaging charitably in the world where I can look across the table and say, I think your view of the world is totally backwards and upside down. But you know what? You're a human being and I can mm -hmm. respect you. And I guess what I'm saying is I, I don't know that guys like Tim Keller, Andy Crouch, David French, are trying to change the culture. I think they're just trying to say, we all live in this world. How do I honor the person across from me and make a winsome case for the gospel? Uh, you can argue about the effectiveness of that or the lack of effectiveness of that. I just think that's going to continue to be a strategy Christians should use because it's, <laughs> because it's biblical. Um, there might also be places where we need to fight more or be more assertive, and that's fine too. So I'm seeing what Aaron Wren, I think it's interesting what he's naming. I just don't necessarily agree that like the answer is we need a negative world strategy now. What's our negative world strategy? Um, I kind of think we need to treat it more like a, like an incubator of like, we need seven different strategies. Let's put them all in the blender and, you know, give them a decade or a hundred years and be thankful that we tried seven of them so that three of them can work. Well, and to have a strategy is to Im imply that you have an outcome in mind. Right. And even that isn't 
uniform. Right. So even that, that conversation is challenging in some ways. Yes. And I, I just think in general, evangelicals in America are way too worried about the world around us. It's like, you know what? I'm glad. I want my I want my society to be a certain way. And I think we need to care about our neighbors and our communities. But we spend a lot of time and energy fretting about the world and not as much time and energy just like having people over for dinner, you know? And so yeah. part of me wants to go like, you know what? Um, say what you will, do what you want. None of us are Tim Keller. He, I want him to do what he does because he has a unique voice in the world. And if he didn't write for the New York Times, he would not be using his gifts. But I think you should just have your neighbors over for dinner and be a friend to them and talk with them about life. That's what we all can do and should do. And we should stop writing articles about whether Rod Dreher or Tim Keller is a better engager of culture and just say, you know what? Thankfully, those guys both write books that we can read and think about. And that's good. Now go love your neighbor. So there you go. Um, that's the article. You can go read it for yourself. I do think it's it's raising some important questions. And I think it's going to resonate with some things we're feeling and that you're feeling living as a Christian in this world. So let's keep um, thinking these things forward together. But I do think the best thing you and I can do is go love our neighbors. And so instead of reading about things, uh, let's make sure we're acting in the ways Christ wants us to act in the world by simply living for his glory in the context that we're in, whether that's our neighborhood, our workplace, our schools, or wherever. The goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or church leader in another context, we thank you for listening in and we pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We love to hear from listeners. So if you have thoughts, questions, or future podcast topics, send an email to podcast at cdomaha.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.